Hey guys, brand new podcast. Uh, let's run through some tour dates real quick. I want to welcome all the new listeners. I've been checking out my numbers, obviously, and they have doubled within the last few months. So thank you guys for checking out the podcast. I hope you like it. Uh, it is just, if you're brand new to this, it is just cool conversations with people I'm interested in. And today is no different at all. This guy's fucking fascinating. Real quick, let's run through some tour dates. Uh, September 9th, 10th, and 11th, I am in Toledo, Ohio. It's a Toledo funny bone. 23rd of September, call and sick to work show in Tampa, Florida. I will go in, I will do radio, I will drink on radio, I will go right to the club, and at noon, I will do a matinee show. I think Ralphie's going to be there. I know my buddy Cowhead's going to be there. We're going to be doing his show, the Mike Calta Show, uh, all morning. And so check it out. Tampa, bring your drinking flip-flops. We're going hard in the motherfucker paint. Uh, doing a call on sick to work show in Philadelphia, uh, along with a weekend at Philadelphia Helium, the 6th, 7th, and 8th. I will be in Philadelphia. We are adding a call on sick to work show. Check out the website for the details. I think it's Thursday morning. Comics Comedy Club at the Mohegan Sun. It's either at the Mohegan Sun or at the Borgata. I'm not certain where that show is. New York, <coughs> the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, I'm at Gotham Comedy Club in New York City. Dayton Funny Bone, the 3rd, 4th, and 5th of November, my birthday weekend. We're throwing a surprise party for me on the 3rd. Should be really fun. Everyone bring me presents. Uh, the 10th, 11th, and 12th, I'm at the Baltimore Comedy Factory of November. Tampa, first weekend of December. Morty's Comedy Joint, second weekend, the 8th, 9th, and 10th of December. Fort Lauderdale Improv, the 15th, 16th, and 17th of December. And Oxnard, California, New Year's Eve. We got big announcements coming up. Uh, that should be coming out in the next couple weeks when we get contracts solidified. Uh, Speedo, get your head out of your ass. Holler at your boy. Uh, what else? Our special coming out on Showtime, I think in November. I'm not certain. I don't have an exact date. I know Sebastian Maniscalco's is October 1st, so check it out. Subscribe to Showtime if you haven't already. Uh, and once again, let's get this thing started. Uh, today's podcast is with a guy I find absolutely fucking fascinating. He's an actor. He's a host. He's a radio host. You might know him from the Joe Schmo show uh, on, on I think it was on Spike. My buddy John Holland Moore was on there. By the way, someone texted me and was like, why didn't you ask him about the girl you fucked that had two vaginas? And I totally forgot to. So, shame on me. But this is a fascinating conversation. He is an original nerd. Like, his, his passion for uh, comic books and whatnot predates when it was cool to be passionate about comic books. We talk about that. Uh, he does voices on Family Guy. He has been on Kevin and Bean for as long as I've been in L.A. I think he was roommates. We talk about his roommates, Carolla, Kimmel, his friendships, uh, Seth MacFarlane. He just is a all-around fascinating guy, and I know you're going to love this podcast. I will simply introduce him from the Kevin and Bean Show, from the podcast Hollywood Babylon with Kevin Smith, ladies and gentlemen, Ralph Garman. Hello? Are you talking that one real quick? Check I th- one, two, check one, oh, I must have cut that one down. Check one, two, check, check one, two, test, test, checking. One, two, three, four, five, six. Perfect. All right. Um. Yeah, I feel fucking useless. I feel like I, part of me feels like, um, like I, 
this is way too much information for us just meeting. Yes. But I've, but I've listened to you enough that I, I don't feel like there's no pretense with you. No, sir. I hope not. So, but uh, I feel like asking if I can help. Like, <laughs> like they're so – they seem to have it fucking – like you would just be in the way. I, but Let's I like, face it. It's like like I'm, was, I was I was lifting weights the other. They don't think I do a fucking thing. Like I literally wake up at like eight, come back or take my kids to school. Maybe yeah. Come back, come back to my man cave, and then just surf the internet and do a podcast. So they're not wrong. Really. They're not wrong at all. If they think you don't do anything, really, I, comparatively, I was, I was I'm lifting saying. weights, and one of the guys was like, uh, "You should carry some of the wood back here." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, he's got a point." Yeah. Um, it's a pleasure meeting you, man. I've I've same here. I've so known I'm a big of fan you for for I would I'm gonna guess as long as as long as podcasting's been around, definitely. I've known of you before that, but um, but when podcasting showed up, it was like you were like I got in the game late though, really, compared to a lot of people. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, how long has Hollywood Babylon been going on? Uh, we're coming up on six years yeah. in the fall. Yeah, I mean, I've only been doing my podcast probably four, three. Really? Is that all? Yeah, but I remember I, I remember. When the Hollywood Babylon thing started happening, uh, I feel like I do, but I remember, didn't you guys have like a space over on Santa Monica? Yeah, it was weird because this was this was with Kevin Smith you know, that I do the show with, and Kevin started, uh, he had sort of dropped out of filmmaking, and he was just full on into podcasting, and he had already had one successful podcast going called Smodcast, and then he fell in love with the medium, and he wanted to have a space like a little theater where he could podcast from. I think he's coming. Are you looking for something? What's he looking for? Just come in. Sorry. That's all right. Other door. Hey, what's up? Hi. Oh, these, these are the, the, what, the, the joists? Yeah, yeah. Leanne will be home soon. I don't know anything about it. Okay. Yeah, these ones are over on the side. Yeah. yeah, she wants them in the kitchen? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, they're over on the side. Okay. She'll be home soon. I'm sorry. Fucking useless. I am so fucking useless. Like, you can tell I don't even know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> like, we have two of these joists. They're, like, really expensive. They're, like, reclaimed wood, Morris right? Like, tenor, yeah. yeah. Mortis and tenon or whatever. Right. And my wife, we have two extra ones. And they're, they're like, they gave them to, home, man caves gave them to us when they did my man cave. And they're really expensive. And you know, my wife wants them in the thing. And then they come in because I'm the man. And this is going to sound racist. But in Mexican culture, the man will make the decision. Absolutely. But I'm white, so the woman makes all the decisions. Our wives rule our lives. Absolutely. I apologize to derail you from that. No, no worries. So uh, Smith wanted to have a little space where he could podcast out of, and so he got this little uh, storefront theater over on Santa Monica. He was renting out of that. And he called that the Smod Castle, and that was going to be his location where he did all of his podcasts from. So we jumped in there early on. Because he and I had wanted to work together for a while, and we didn't really know what to do. And initially, you guys, you guys were you guys would kind of he would come in to Kevin and Bean, right? And That's how we met and became friends. He would come in to promote whatever he was selling, and he would come on as a guest. And he and I hit it off and became friends. And then we said we wanted to work together. Initially, we thought about doing a radio show together, and we actually did a pilot for one, and we pitched it to K Rock at the station, and they passed. They weren't interested, so that's how we decided let's do it as a podcast instead. Because he had this space, and we already had this idea, and that's when we started doing Hollywood Babylon. And that was six years ago? It's coming up in the fall, yeah. So, now, six years ago, no one in radio ever had a problem with anyone doing a podcast. No. 
But what, and now I guess your podcast is so successful, no one could have a problem with it. Yeah, it's a little late now if they want to have a problem with it. But was there a, a point when everyone's like, hey, man. Well, this was the beauty. It was the original idea, as I mentioned, was a radio show with me and Kevin Smith doing the pop culture news of the week. Basically what Babylon is now, but Babylon has evolved into something else. But that initially, that was the premise. So I came to them first, and I said, this is yours if you want it. Put us on your worst time slot. Whatever, weekends, late yeah. night, whatever you got. Give us your worst, and I promise you we'll do better ratings than whatever shit you have going on now. And they listened and they said, nah, no one wants to hear anybody talk anymore. Nobody wants to hear personalities. It's all music all the time, and that's all we care about. So they had the first shot at it. So it's hard for them to come back now and say, hey, wait a minute. Why didn't we get a, a, you know, a shot at that? Because they did. So they have nothing to say. Now, what, what about uh, – can I ask you a weird question? Yeah. Every time I've ever heard you talk about your radio job, I've always heard you call it K-Rock. Mm-hmm. Do you, like, you never say like Kevin and Bean. You never say like – the is, there, is that something that is like a like, – one of my buddies has a radio show in Florida, and he never refers to his show as the show. He calls it The Bone. You know, the 102.5, The Bone. Yeah. Is that something in radio that you guys do to kind of... Is your employer K-Rock, so you kind of look at that as your job? Well, it depends, I guess, on the station. I don't know. I mean, K-Rock is my first and only radio show. Uh, only radio you've been job. There, you've been there... Like 17 years now. Holy fuck. Yeah, it's been forever. They've been doing it for 25 years, and I've been there for most of it. But, and um, for those of you that don't... For those people that don't know, and I feel like... I feel like I feel like my audience would definitely know who you are because I think a lot of my listeners are based in LA right. and New York. Right. But there's a huge Canadian, Texas, Ohio chunk of my listeners. I think your backstory is kind of like the it's almost like the it's it's the kind of stuff that it must seem in inane to you, but to an average listener you're like, "Hold on. You're roommates with Adam Carolla." Right. Jimmy Kimmel uh, got, was like, hey, man, you guys should take a look at him. You guys were working out of all doing like Acme Improv, which was the competition to Groundlings at the time. Right. This is 1991. Um, uh, yeah. So this is and this is before the man. Yeah, this show. is late. This is later. This is later than that, because I didn't start until 99. You started K-Rock in 99. Yes, right. Ninety eight, ninety nine. So let's start from there. the very beginning. Where you? Where so did you grow I, up? I, I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You grew up in fucking Philly? Yeah. Where? Northeast Philly. Like I grew up. My family is all from uh, like Villanova, the main line. Oh sure. Well, yeah. the main line. Your family yeah. had money. Well, my mom, my grandmother and my grandfather had a great deal of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that anyone got it. Cause they had nine fucking kids because they were Irish. Right. But um, <coughs> everyone went to Malvern or oh, LaSalle sure, yeah. or. Uh, and and then I had a big group of family in Norristown, mm-hmm. but Philly. I always feel like Philly is my hometown. Oh, I love that town. I grew up in Philly, went to LaSalle University. That's where I went to school. Really? Yeah. And then I came out to California to be an actor. That was the plan. And so I did the same shit everybody does. I was you know waiting tables and stuff like that. And then I started working in a uh, a sketch and improv group called the Acme Comedy Theater. Which, as you mentioned, was sort of crosstown rivals to Groundlings. Not really. I mean, we were no real competition to them. But a lot of people who were unhappy with the situation the Groundlings, for whatever reason, sort of splintered off and started this other um, uh, theater group. So I was working with them, and that's where I ran across Corolla. Eventually, okay. so so Adam Corolla. This time, by the way, 
I, you know, Adam Corolla grew up like two blocks from here. Yes, exactly. And he drove me home one day, and he was like, do you mind if we stop by my old house? Oh, that's and funny. And they turned it into a McMansion. Oh, really? But to know his old house, really. I mean, like, and I, I, it really does a service to know who Adam Corolla is. Yes. Like, it, you know, I, people only know him as a celebrity. They don't know... No, by his own admission, he was sort of valley white trash, you know? You know what? That's And you have to have seen that. How many people have come in, have you seen come through the doors and try to own up to this blue-collar lifestyle and just because they want to sell tickets? Right, right, right. He is no. legit fucking old sneakers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, <clears throat> and so when you met him, he was, he was... I had to have a mullet, I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, he had the same hairstyle. I mean, Adam's look has not changed over the past 20 years. <laughs> Um, he was hanging drywall when I met him. Yeah. And, uh, we were both, he had, he had started earlier than I did with this group. He was one of the founding members, but he was doing sketch and improv with Acme. And then I came in and, um, through a series of, you know, circumstances, he needed a place to live. And I had, I was bartending at a place where the guy who owned the bar was looking to rent his house up in La Crescenta above Glendale. And so I, I took it up, and I, it was up to me to fill the place. So I found two other guys who I was working with at the theater. One was Adam. Another guy was named Cortland Cox, and, and they needed rooms. So we all lived together. But at the time, he was hanging drywall, and I was tending bar. That's, that's how we made our ends meet. And then he started calling in and doing bits with the Kevin and Bean show on K-Rock the, in the mornings. The, the workshop guy. Mr. Bircham. That Mr. was the Bircham, character, yeah. yeah. Actually, I had met Jimmy Kimmel because Jimmy – was going to do a an on-air stunt where he was going to box another one of the guys on the show, a guy named Michael the Maintenance Man, another character on the Kevin and Bean show. And Jimmy was already there, for those who don't know Jimmy's background. He was doing uh, sports on air. I mean, his persona was Jimmy the sports guy with this morning show. But in reality, he was also writing all their bits, and he was writing their games and doing voices and stuff. But he was... Uh, and was this Kevin and Bean at the Kevin time? Kevin and Bean, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. And so uh, Jimmy was going to do a boxing event an on-air stunt with one of the other guys. And Adam called up, who was a listener to the show, Adam called up and was also a boxing a boxing instructor at the time. He was also training people and, and doing like sort of aerobic boxing training, you know, with the gym. He would like teach. During the Taibo. Yeah, he would yeah. teach, you know, housewives how to punch yeah. a heavy bag and stuff. <laughs> and so he volunteered his services, and that's how Jimmy and Adam met. And Adam, Jimmy thought Adam was funny, so he started calling in and doing this Mr. Bertram character, which was a carpenter, handyman kind of thing. Now, this is the heyday. I, I, I'm going to say the heyday, probably inaccurate, but probably the heyday of radio. Um, yes, because it was that time sort of when advertisers were spending a shit ton of money, and it, you know, this was really before satellite had taken a hold i mean terrestrial radio pretty much was all there was i didn't think satellite was around back then it had just started to become a thing i was the know? first person in 1997 i did a stand-up show no 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 not, probably 1998 i did me and patrice o'neill did a hour stand-up for sirius radio which we had never heard of we didn't know what it was yeah. they paid us like 2500 bucks and we did an hour and we just did our material, and they're like, it'll go nowhere. No one will ever hear it. It's it's in the satellites. <laughs> and we were like, what the fuck? And I remember Patrice just going, write a list of every joke you have and just do every – don't worry. Just do the jokes. They're going to cut them up and play them throughout. But uh, So this is the heyday. And now you're bartending at the time, drinking, I'm assuming, at the time, right? Oh, yeah. Now, were you, get, were you getting up and listening to radio? I'd never heard this show before. Really? And I was doing sketch and improv uh, on the weekends – and then Adam and Jimmy became friends, and Jimmy would come to see the show. And that's where he saw me. So 
flash forward, Jimmy and Adam are doing great guns on the radio and things are going well, and they come up with this idea for the man show. Mm-hmm. They pitch it. Comedy Central picks it up, and so now they've got, I don't know, six months to a year before they decide they're going to leave radio completely and dedicate all their time to the man show and do television. So Kevin and Bean, the guys who host this show, said to them, do you know anybody who could step in and sort of do what you guys do for us? Voices, writing, jokes, that kind of stuff. Um, as a sort of a, a stopgap, an interim thing, like a filler, before we can find some radio professional to come in and really do the job. And Jimmy Kimmel said, yeah, this guy, Ralph Garman, that Adam works with, he does voices and impressions and stuff and everything, he probably would be good. So I'd never heard this radio show before. I had no interest in doing radio. It was you the last thing from my impressions. mind. I got a handful you know, that What I, was your very first impression? Like ever in my life? My first impression was the lead singer of the B-52 singing Jane Says. <laughs> Jane Says? That was it. That's all I could do. I started doing it when I was a kid. I mean, I would make my buddies you know, shoot milk out of their nose at the, at the lunch table in elementary school doing voices and stuff. Really? And I would start with like cartoon voices were like what I was like known for. Really? Shaggy and Scooby, I think, were my first two that crushed like in fifth grade. Those oh, were the ones. Oh, just... Man, when I started doing stand-up in New York, I was like, if I could get one good impression, because I'd, I'd watch a guy do an impression or even an impression of a race. Like DC Benny had, you know DC Benny? Yeah, yeah. DC Benny had an impression of an Italian eye doctor. What you looking at? Like that was his, <laughs> I'm not, I hate to do DC's material, but like, but I remember going like, if I could just get an impression, right? I could fucking, it could write the boat out of a bomb. You just throw it in. Ah, oh, that's what we're talking about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how it can save you sometimes. So you get, so Jimmy nominated throws you in there, throws me in the mix. Says you guys should meet, and so they put us together. And Kevin and Bean weren't that interested because I had no radio background, I had no knowledge of the medium or uh, what they did or anything else. But they were desperate, so they said the deal was, why don't you come in for like three months? And just sort of pitch in, and meanwhile we'll look for a, like a real person. And and, <laughs> and it's so funny to hear now. What seventeen? Well, years they didn't later. want me. I didn't want to do it because I was still. And at the time, I was like going to be like straight actor. I wasn't even thinking about comedy. You know, really the imp- the, the the improv stuff was when I started using impressions that I did just to make my friends laugh for the first time ever in any sort of professional way. You know? Really, and so I was doing. Um, those that act me but i my plan was to do some like either serious acting or a sitcom or something like that and so um they didn't want me i didn't really want to do the job and you know three month you know interim stopgap gig turned into you know a lifetime so it's just it just happened it was it was just weird circumstances a lot of luck and friends you know recommending me that got me the gig and so what was the first uh when, when, how long in was the first job security where you're like, oh, I'm here? It was weird because um, things took off right away. I mean, Jimmy was very sweet. He pulled me aside early on and said, listen, I'm going and the fans really like me. And you're going to come in and you're going to look like you're my replacement. So be prepared for them to hate you for a while and say shitty things about you. But then eventually they will grow to love you. And these listeners are great. And I never really ran up against that. People early on really seemed to like what I was doing, which was cool. And so Kevin Bean, as success happened pretty quickly, they were like, why don't you stick around longer? It was weird because they were paying me like per bit. I would come up with an idea for a, a gag or a segment or a funny phone call or an impression bit, and they would pay me per bit. Really? Then after a couple of months, they would pay me like per week, 
No, per day. If I showed up that day, I'd get X number of dollars. And if, and if I showed up for the whole week, I'd get another. It was a very sort of piecemeal. It was odd. And so like a year went by and I went to management. I said, you know, how about a contract or, you know, something more permanent? And they said, well, we're going to hold off. We're going to hold off. And I didn't get my first deal until I was already there for a couple of years. Really? And then I got my first contract there. Yeah. Your first contract, you... And that's when you talk about security. That's when I felt like, okay, you know, worst case scenario, I, for the next three years, I know I'll have an income, you know? It's, it's uh, I think for anyone with the, the, in the arts, that is an interesting, it's an interesting moment when you have some sort of job security where you're like, yeah. you're like, oh, I, I could buy a house? Yeah. Well, I wasn't making that kind of money yet what, at that point. At what, at what point did you, when you had to renegotiate contracts, did you just talk to management? Um. My first one I did. Then by the time the second one rolled around, um, Bean of Kevin and Bean, one of those guys had suggested you should have my agent rep you, you know, let him handle it. And that was like my first sort of, you know, money wasn't the same, but it was good. And then the one after that, because like I said, we were in sort of the peak of terrestrial radio at the time and there was all kinds of money being thrown around and Kevin and Bean's ratings – for the first time, we were like number one in the market. It had always been like Rick Dees or Mark and Brian and these other guys. But Kevin Bean finally broke through, and they were like the number one show. So everybody involved, you know, got well because of, of what was going on. So that was the first time I was making real money. That's really interesting to yeah. me. Now, what was – But again, every time the deal came up, I was like, this is not really what I want to do. And, you know, I still wanted to be- <laughs> I still want to. You're like the consummate broadcaster in, in, in of of this generation right now. It's it's what like your name is synonymous with just that's madness. First of all, I don't know what you're talking about. No, but it's, it's very true. I mean, you, the, you're you've been on the number one radio show in L.A. for seventeen years. Seventeen years. Seventeen years. Seventeen yeah. years. You've been podcasting for six. Yeah. A medium that I think. Right now we're at the we're literally at the snow cone shavings of the iceberg. <laughs> I, I'm being serious. I feel like I feel like when this takes off, I watch my numbers build. Yeah, and I know that if my numbers are building, Rogan's are building, Kevin's are building, yours are building, um, uh, uh, Chris Hardwick's are building. Right, and and so I don't feel like people change ships. I feel like people pick up pick their podcast network and they kind of stick with it. Yeah, I think sadly. Uh, that's true, but I feel like you. I feel like new listeners are brand new to podcasting. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. You like I don't, right. I'm, I'm never gonna get. I'll, I'll never. Smodcast listeners are smodcast listeners. It's a very unique type of person. Yeah, I think you guys probably co-share with a lot of the nerdist listeners. Yes, exactly. but there, I will never pull nerdist listeners over to me. Right, nerdist listeners have no interest in what I do. Right, and I and I say that because I did. Uh, I did Chris's podcast a long time ago not a long time a couple of years ago and it was just like you know not even a blip on the twitter didn't move the needle at all well it's just, people just were like oh, i was a good interview yeah maybe i'll check out something he does but it's it's but for me i find that as this medium grows those initial lines battle not battle lines because but you know how like it's like there's earwolf there's uh, there's Nerdist, there's Smod, right. you know, there's identities out there, and there's the Death Squad and and the Rogan, and I feel like people claimed ownership or claim sets, but as the medium grows, new listeners don't know that there was ever this Nerdist Castle or the podcast ca- Smodcast Castle, and so they just go and go, oh, this is cool as shit, I like this, right? Oh shit, I 
I didn't know Ralph was. Di- I had Bert, Bert and Ralph talking together. Yeah. Oh I fuck! I got to check out both their podcasts. Yeah. You know, I think Pete Holmes is the first person I've noticed to do that to break down the the kind of barriers. No, there's definite branding out there that you kind of have to surmount. Yeah, and it was a good fit with you and Kevin, and I, I think because you also are the first generation of I say this politely, but nerd. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like legit. Like so many people commandeered it to market themselves the same way so many people commandeered blue collarism as their brand. I grew up rough and so many people are like I I've always liked Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You're like, well fuck Star Wars doesn't count. You gotta like the <laughs> shit I've never heard of yeah. to be a nerd. No, there is a core group of those who are genuine geeks and nerds that now that it's sort of in vogue, you know, we we're we're benefiting from that for sure. Well, but. What was the first Comic Con you went to? Oh, uh, when I first moved out here. Shit. <laughs> Shut Jeez, up. I, I came out in 86. I left Philly in 86. So I guess my first one was 87, I guess. So wait, what's Comic-Con like in 1987? It's a bunch of guys and a bunch of comic books, really. I mean, it just literally was a comic book convention. You would go through and look through back issues. And there was minimal sort of costume play, cosplay, uh I mean, it was just a bunch of guys getting together to, you know, talk about stuff. You have to remember, this is like pre-internet. Where would you go to commiserate or to share ideas or to talk shit about, you know, with other guys? You'd have to go to these conventions and stuff. That's where you'd hang. And it was not a girl to be seen. I, you know, I go down there now and you see these stunning women in these amazing <laughs> yeah. costumes with their tits out. And they're just and, – and some of them are hardcore nerds too. I'm like, where the fuck were these women when I was, yeah. you know, 20 looking to get laid? So it's very frustrating. But I've no. been into Captain America. Yeah, I mean, really. I couldn't even give you a reference. I know nothing about comic books. Yeah. I, my daughter, we do that show – or I, you do a show every now and then as a comic at Nerdist Meltdown. Right. And uh, I'm there one day early, and I just go, I was like, yeah, my daughter is like of age that this would be interesting to her. I, it was funny because I did, I'm, I'm a, I guess you could call me a bro. Mm-hmm. Like, I like football. I like sports. I like drinking beer. I do, too. I like all those things, too. I'm, I'm like a crossover guy where, I mean, I grew up hardcore sports fan, drinking, hanging with my pals and all, but I also was a nerd, too. So I was like a weird hybrid I was I able like to reading. fit in a lot of cultures, you know, when I was a kid. I didn't like reading. Yeah. I really didn't like reading. <laughs> like, I legit probably, ne- I mean, not even fucking around, never read a book until maybe first year of college. Wow. First book I read was The Firm. It was like, someone was like, dude, this is badass. Some guy in a fraternity, an SAE at Florida, was like, dude, it's a badass fucking book. Read it. And I was like, yeah? He was like, yeah. <laughs> Read the book. Named my dog Abigail after Abigail McDear. Oh, that's and funny. then I was like, fucking done reading books. Anything he puts out, I'll read. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And I, to this day, I, I just, I wrote a book. I have a really hard time reading them. That's so funny. <clears throat> um, but my oldest, I was like, I was like, this reading's good for you. I know that. So I go in and I get her a comic book. Uh, the, it's a, one with all the kids that are, they're, maybe their parents are evil villains. And the kids are oh, descendants. No, Disney descendants was it a Disney book. No, it's it's a it's um the event not the Avengers. I I bought I bought her the whole fucking series. Uh, I buy her the book and I go and I give it to her and she's obsessed with comic books now. Oh, that's obsessed. great. Obsessed. I mean, do you know Steve Marmel? No, Steve Marmel is uh, or Steve Steve Marmel is Judy Brown's husband. Judy Brown. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Steve's really big into comic books, and he. Literally, bro, he's like, get Squirrel Girl, get 
Wonder Girl, get and he like gave her everything. And now she, I want to say it's one of the most beautiful things ever because it is it is her holding on to her childhood. It is a part of her childhood, a part of her innocence that will never be gone because she can just disappear with a flashlight into her bed mm-hmm. and just read a comic book. And I part of me goes, I wish that I had that in my life. It's a huge part of the nerd culture, I think, is the fact that that is a direct connection to your childhood and youth with that stuff. I mean, I can pick up a comic book or watch an old episode of the Batman TV show or whatever it is, and I'm instantly back into that world again. And for those of us who were immersed in that as kids, it's a, it's a real strong connection that we have that, that we go back to. There's a real sort of nostalgia factor, I think, with a lot of it. Now, to a certain extent now, where I think there's a lot of man children out there who never quite grew up, who stay, you know, 40-year-old children, and I, there's, a, there's a dark side to it as well, you know. But, uh, yeah, for people who enjoy it, it's just a blast. It's a great time. What, what were your top five moments with, with comic books, with nerd culture, I'll say, in general, where you were like, I'll never forget where I was when? Well, the biggest thing for me was a kid growing up was I was a- addicted and still am to the Batman TV series with Adam West and Burt Ward. I grew up adoring that show. That was my first entree into comic books and that whole world. Superheroes, everything for me came from that. Yeah. And so, and to this day, I've got a room in my house dedicated to like vintage Batman 60s memorabilia and toys and stuff and everything. I've got co- props and costumes from the show. I mean, real hardcore stuff. So, I was always addicted to that, and I never lost my, my love for that show. And when I came out here years after you know working, I started – Seth MacFarlane uh, brought me in to start doing Family Guy. You did voices on Family Guy? I still do, almost every episode. What, what voices yeah. do you do? I'm sort of the ancillary guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a utility guy over there. You know, there's a, it's known for its cutaways and stuff. So invariably when Peter Griffin is talking to a maitre d' or a doctor or a lawyer or, or yeah. you know, whatever, I'm usually that guy on the other side. So um, Adam West is the mayor of Quahog on Family Guy, of course. And so through K-Rock and then through Family Guy, Adam and I got to be pals. So now I'm friends with Batman, you know. And I got to meet – I know his family and I know his wife and I know his kids – and his daughter and I started working together on a campaign to get him his Hollywood Walk of Fame star, his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He had never had one. And I thought that was sort of an injustice when I saw some people who were getting them. And his daughter felt the same way. So we spent a couple of years putting together packages and submitting them to the Chamber of Commerce and working hard. Anyway, we finally got him his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And so Adam comes to me and says, I want you to give a speech at my ceremony when I get the star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So it was me and Seth MacFarlane and Adam spoke at his induction ceremony and when they un- unveiled the star and, uh, on the day that it was dedicated to him. So then afterwards, you know, we're at lunch with him and his wife and his family. And I said, if I had known, if I could tell the eight-year-old me that I was going to be friends with Batman someday, I would have said, you know, just lay down. You're done now. Just, just you're finished. That's that was for me. It was the ultimate sort of circular moment in my life where it all came. It all came together. Now, does that com- now in a parallel universe in a sliding door scenario? Would you trade the career you have right now for the one that you dreamed of when you first moved to L.A.? Because clearly, this wasn't your intended path. No. Would you trade it for for? You ready? Yeah. Uh, one of the leads and friends. You book it right when you come out, and you and you're Chandler or Joey, or or David Schwimmer. And <laughs> I mean, I just I never no one wants David no one is, nobody wants to be him. Nobody <laughs> yeah, you want, but you get you get Chandler or Joey, 
and and you do that millions. Sure, you can meet Adam West whenever you want. You're one of the heads. Of, these are friends. Yeah. Would you trade it for that? Think about it for real. I don't think that scenario I would trade it for. No. Okay. I don't think okay. so. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's see if I can find another parallel. Um, how about movies? You could you could come out, you, you book a lead in a movie, first week out, Adam Kutcher, Ashton Kutcher scenario, book a lead in a movie, right. and you're still friends with all these guys, but you're just a movie star, and right now you're just making movies and doing movies. Would you trade it for the trajectory you've had? I think I would. Really? Yeah. That's because so my first love, truly, and regardless of all the success, and I don't look, I'm not looking the gift horse in the mouth at all. I appreciate it all, and I love doing what I do. But I still get the biggest charge out of my life, and I still work from time to time in movies and TV shows. I still act. When I'm on a set, that for me is like the most fun thing in the world. Really, I love it. I love being on a set. I love acting. I love the costume fittings. I love makeup in the morning and talking with the crew and hanging out and going out there in front of the camera and doing it. It is such a blast for me. And luckily, the the radio gig has gotten me a lot of work. I mean, I've had I've been cast just by people who listen to the morning show and their drive to work and say, "I like that guy. He'd be good in this thing." And they call me up and say, "You want to come in and do you know a little scene here and there?" So I've I've gotten a lot of work out of it. But when I show up and I do those moments, it's just the just a, such a big thrill for me. Well, you're the most versatile person on that show. I think everyone would agree. Correct? On Kevin Bean show, yeah, yeah. You, you just have you're a man of many talents. Yeah, I, I do a lot of different things, whereas they all do something specific. You know, very well. And, I'm, and not very saying, well. I'm not saying. No, I'm, I'm not. No, no slight on them. No, but not you're at all. definitely the kind of guy that if you listen to, like right now, my buddy Eric Grusin's losing his fucking mind. He's been listening to you since he was in, in probably in high school, and he's. He was the first person. We had a geek. The, when I texted you on Twitter, we were having a geek out fest about you. Oh, that's funny. Is, and we were just like, like, fuck, what a career. Like, what an interesting, bizarre. Trust me, like, no one knows better than me. It's so odd how it's happened and still continues to happen. And none of it was sort of by plan at all. I just sort of fell into shit left and right. It's well, been it, very odd. It's a testament that you must be a good guy. Like, there's that. That's Well, that's the thing. The one. The one caveat, or no, that's not the right word, but the one broad stroke you can make all of it is that people don't like working with dicks. Yeah. And you work with a lot of people. Yeah, there's a difference between being a good guy and not being an asshole. You know, I think if you can just accomplish not being an asshole, you've already got half it's really the game. tough for a lot of people. I know. That's the problem. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not the most talented guy in the world, but the guys that I do work with, I think, tend to like working with me. They enjoy the, 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 the experience, and so I tend to not alienate anybody. Like, for example, Seth McFarlane, great guy, brought me on early in Family Guy once they had been canceled and then came back again on Fox. Started working with him. We hit it off. Another geek. Um, hit it off really well. So... We liked working together, and he would bring me back more and more to the point where I was sort of semi-regular on the show. And then he gets the deal for Ted, right? He's going to go off and, and do Ted. So he calls me up and says, I want you to play Mark Wahlberg's dad in flashback in the beginning of the film when the bear first comes to life. I mean, there's no reason why he had – he could have cast anybody he wanted in that role. Yeah. But he called me up and offered me the gig. I didn't have to audition or anything. It's because he and I – like each other, we hang out, we have a good time, he enjoys working with me, and so that was one less thing he had to worry about. By hiring an unknown actor, he wouldn't know what he got in that situation, but his first film out, he wanted to surround himself with as many people he could trust as possible, I feel. So he got 
I got that role. And, and so ever since, A Million Ways to Die in the West, I mean, every time he works, I work. And Smith's the same way. Kevin does the same thing. When he's, when he's doing a movie or whatever, we've got a movie coming out in the fall that I'm in that he wrote and directed. And it's just, I've been very blessed that the people I work with tend to enjoy the experience enough that they want me around again, you know, when they go on to do something else. What's the craziest dinner party you've ever been at? Where you're like, I mean, you're with, you're with probably the, and I, and I say this for the, the nerd culture, you're with two icons. You just mentioned two icons. Yes. To anyone at Comic-Con. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To absolutely. anyone at Comic-Con. Like, what's the, what's the coolest, okay, let's do two parties. What's the coolest party you've ever been at for me, just a regular guy, and then for like nerd moment, like, like Comic-Con kids, where they'd be like, shut the fuck up. Um, the coolest party I've ever was at was I, I had, again, it got through the radio, a, a listener uh, was responsible for putting together a pre-Oscar party for a, a, a legendary agent named Ed Lamato. He used to have these giant pre-Oscar parties every year. It was kind of like the, the thing to do. And so she was involved in putting this one together. And she said, if you'd like, I can get you on the guest list for this if you want. And I was like, yes, absolutely. So I took my then, I think I was just dating my wife at the time. I don't think we were married. Um, but we went, and it was one of those events where I was the only not famous person in the room. But still famous. No, no, not by these standards. I mean, oh, really? literally, I'm standing in the buffet line with, like, Diana Ross in front of me and Sylvester Stallone behind me. Yeah. And, you know, Tom Hanks and his wife. I mean, it was one of those AAA list events that everyone literally was looking at me every time I walked around saying, who is that guy and why don't we recognize him? It was, <laughs> they, it was weird for them not to know who I was because everyone else in the room was instantly recognizable. Sharon Stone and Elton John. I mean, it was insane. And it was very uncomfortable. In retrospect, I was sorry that I went because it was it was not pleasant at all. It was just weird. It was just oh. a weird, but you know, experience. So that was the the biggest A list kind of event I've ever been to. And in terms of geek, uh, cool, um, I would have to say once I got invited to a fundraiser for uh, Rob Reiner's charity, which was uh, First Five, raising money for kids, you know, before they're five years old, big educational fund okay, that he yeah. worked with. And I, I, um, I was sitting at a table, and it was um, Ed Begley Jr. and his wife, um, Christopher Guest, and Jamie Lee Curtis. And it was like oh, that whole gang of like Christopher Guests, you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, and Rob Reiner, that, that Spinal Tap, you know, Michael McKean and all those people. Oh, yeah. I was sitting at that table. And for like a nerd, a guy who's seen Spinal Tap like a billion times and waiting for Guffman. And Christopher Guest is like one of my heroes. I just think he's fucking brilliant. If, if, having done a little improv and watching what they do with those movies is, is mind boggling to me. So sitting there that night and just being a fly on the wall and hearing those conversations for me, that was like my biggest sort of showbiz geek moment. Oh, that's so badass yeah my sadly my i the moments i would want like i'd, I'd like to drink with mel gibson out at his compound in malibu <laughs> just like spur him on and be like i don't know man fucking lot of shit's fucked up in this country right, right now yeah i don't just know see him spiral out i want to i want to i want to be there when ben affleck falls off the wagon <laughs> like those are my dream scenarios like even when you go to like hollywood parties i always i never feel like i fit in I never feel like I belong. Yeah. I always, I always feel like an outsider. Yeah. Did you feel like that as a kid f coming from Philly? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
And Philly, we already have a chip on our shoulder. You know, Philly, if you're out of Philly, you already feel second place to New York and Washington. Your Philly people always feel like they're sort of also-rans anyway. So wherever I go, I think I carry that with me where I feel like I don't quite fit in. I'm much happier in a dive bar than I am at a Beverly Hills restaurant. You know, it's just the nature. When did you quit drinking? I know. I never quit drinking. You still drink? Oh, yeah. Oh, shut the fuck up. Oh, yeah. Someone told me you quit drinking. I was like, oh, are you high? Oh, thank God. No, I mean, the, the, the spine of Hollywood Babylon is Kevin Smith gets baked out of his head, and I get loaded through the course of the evening. I start drinking when we start. Someone told me. And by me- the end of the show, actually, I go to the bar at the improv where we usually do the show afterwards, and I continue on drinking until Shit. they close it. Now, how do you, now how how great is that? Like, I want to st- – I, uh, I do – sometimes I drink on my podcast, but I was like, I, I kind of want to do a – a, sh- a shingle show, meaning like you guys do it every Friday night at what, like eleven o'clock, ten o'clock, ten o'clock out of the Hollywood Improv. Uh, usually, if, but we've also toured the show too, which is amazing. I mean, because we've always done it in front of a live audience, that has set us up to be able to perform it all well, over the world. We did London, we did Ireland, we've done Canada, we've done shows all over the country because it's a it's a very crowd. F- focused show you know it, we get a lot of input from the, the live crowd and also from people who send stuff to us so it's always been set up to be sort of interactive and that's allowed us to do it in front of a live audience for almost six years now which is great but usually at the improv in melrose yeah yeah it's uh it's i feel like it's the natural progression of these of these podcasts is a live like it's it's weird when you do something live like uh <coughs> i do a call and sick to work tour where I do radio from six to ten, drink on air, kind of, kind of a little bit commandeer the show, right? But just definitely, I'm out of control. And then I go right to the club at eleven, and everyone calls in sick to work, and then we do a show at like a matinee show, and it's just, I mean, it's an event. It's oh, like that's so much fun. Oh, they're fucking a blast. I, I love I would, day drinking. Day drinking is like one of my favorite. Day drinking is better than fucking. Day drinking is better in my opinion than night drinking. I agree. When you have a beer at like seven a.m., it just there's something like. Everyone's loose. Then when the fucking tightwad goes, ah, fuck, give me one. You're like, oh, this is what I'm talking about. And it's and and uh, we're t- we're talking we're talking about trying to turn that into something else. Uh, the thing is, when I do it, I just do stand up, right? And you feel like you feel like uh, you feel like you went to prom in you in a used dress. Mm. You're like, eh, this should be a live event. This should right. be a podcast or uh, or some sort of produced event as opposed to just stand-up. Yeah. Like, I could go see a stand-up tonight. Um, and then part of me was thinking maybe, like, like there's a bar right on Riverside that, that a lot of, uh, oddly enough, a lot of black actors hang out at. Uh, it's, like, right over on the other side of uh, there, wherever that is. Right. And uh, and so I was like, maybe, because they're always there at, like, 10 in the morning, and I was like, maybe I'll just do, like, a live podcast out of that bar <laughs> and get, like, A-list fucking celebrities. Like, legit. And by the way, like... Uh, A-list celebrities who have been in comic book movies. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and you probably do the math on who that guy is. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a small Venn diagram where those two interact, quite frankly. <laughs> but, and then I was, because what you know what you guys do, it, it, it's the same thing Corolla's doing with taking his stuff on the road yeah. and doing big theaters and just doing a live podcast. You know, we've changed Babylon into over the years. It's sort of morphed into this thing where it started off Kevin and I just sitting there with microphones talking about shit. And then little by little, we've been adding elements to now we've got we play video clips. We've got, you know, art that we put up pictures. We've got audio clips. It's become sort of this multimedia show, which makes it in a way a lot more 
lot more show than a stand-up show. You know, yeah. it's more it's more presentational. People go in and will show them clips from movies or trailers or something, and it, it's almost like a TV show live. More so than a radio show, which is how it kind of started. And people seem to get a kick out of that. And the people listening to the podcast, I think I feel bad for them sometimes because they get a little bit cheated, I think, because, you know, obviously the visuals don't play for them nearly as well. They hear the, you know, the reaction to it and stuff, and we still riff. But I think it, it's like when you were just listen, to, listen to comedy albums when you were a kid, you know, and you listen to the crowd, and you're like, oh, shit, I wish I had been there. So when we take the show on the road, if people are able to get to it, they love to come out because they get to finally see the visual of what they've been listening and imagining the whole time they listen to it. So yeah. it's got an interesting dynamic to it. I do uh, Doug Loves Movies a lot. I love Doug. And, uh, great. And it's the same thing. It's this it, – the show has turned into much more than – I mean, it's – you know, it's like – the podcast is almost like so interactive. I try. I, I told Todd Glad that Todd Glass this, and I kind of tried it a little bit, and it fucked up. But I was like, "What if you did a podcast in a comedy sh- club, but you turn the lights out so that you're?" Fo- but then there's <laughs> so the drinks, audience there's is drinks everywhere. Yeah, like, right. It's yes. really hard to serve and people. groping. It's really <laughs> hard to serve people raped. in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Very problematic. You turn the lights on, never walked out of their bill. And you're like, Fuck! Shit! I never thought this through. Um, but yeah, I uh, I feel like I, f- I feel like things. I, I feel like I don't know. I feel like what you guys are doing with Hob- Hollywood Babylon and doing a live show once a week is more the gen- direction. But the problem is, I don't like this conversation. I couldn't have in front of people. No, and it, and sometimes Kevin and I, it, you know, because he's very busy now. He's back to directing, and so he's writing and he's he directing. He did uh, who, oh, Yoga Hosers. Yoga Hosers is the movie I'm talking about that I'm in. I, I play the the villain in that piece. It yeah. comes out in September. And Tusk he did, and Red State. Um, I heard Tusk is fantastic. I love it. Someone told me Tusk is it's fucking weird fantastic. As, it's weird as shit, but I loved it. I loved Red State, too. Red State's a very grim sort of straight up. Not a comedy at all, really, and uh, I thought that was a great film. But I'm biased, of course. You know, I like yeah. the guy and I like his work. But now he's directing The Flash and Supergirl. He's doing television. He's developing two TV shows, uh, Buckaroo Banzai, which if you're not a nerd, you're probably not familiar with that movie. But I know Buckaroo Banzai. How do I know Buckaroo Banzai? It's a, it's a classic cult film from the 80s. It's just uh, terrific. Peter, uh, Peter Weller is the lead in it. Um, anyway, um, John Lithgow, Jeff Goldblum. Great, yeah, great I- film. From the I I saw that, and so Kevin is developing it into a TV series for Amazon, and he's taking his own movie Mallrats and turning that into a TV series for Universal. So he's got a ton going on. So we can't always get to a club to do the show. Sometimes I'll just go to his house and we'll just do this. We'll sit, yeah. and it's a very different show, you know. And people say, "Wow, that was really cool. Do that more often." Because you're right, you can have a conversation like this if you're worried about trying to make an audience laugh every three minutes or something you know it's a very different dynamic and this is you know obviously interesting in a whole different kind of way i used to do a live podcast with a with um a comedian uh and i just and it we would do it and i would also do his regular podcast and it just it just i felt like i was i was forced to do bits not forced Mm. to do bits but like you could tell that he wanted me to perform and, and I was like I'm, I want to just do this like that's what I love about podcasting like do, do, what was the first podcast you heard where you were like what a podcast it was Smith's actually it was Smodcast the one he does with Scott Mosier was the first one I had ever heard really yeah. mine was Ricky Gervais do you remember when, oh yeah I remember I, I think that was the second one I went to I yeah, heard that yeah. and I was like what the fuck is this yeah I was blown away and then I remember like for a while going like how do I get so like I couldn't understand like how do I get 
what I say onto iTunes. No, it was a bizarre experience for all of us. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how wrong people in radio, I mean, coming that being my background, how wrong they could have been. I mean, uh, rather, I don't know if they could have been any more wrong in terms of the sensibility. It still is today, actually, is that nobody wants personality driven radio anymore. Nobody wants to hear anybody talk. Nobody wants to hear about you know, personalities. All they want now is music and content and news and and sports scores and stuff like that. And I just think couldn't be further from what I want. Obviously it's not the case when you look at the explosion of podcasting, which is all long form personality driven content. That's all it is practically, you know, there's very little little bells and whistles. There's not much in terms of sizzle at all. It's just people talking into microphones. We'll do. And only because I know you're extremely busy. We'll do roughly around an hour, maybe a little over. The one complaint I get is that you weren't here for three hours and we weren't drinking. Yeah. That's what, across the board, everyone well, will we'll say. Have to, we'll have to put that on the books. We'll reschedule. Dude. I, I don't would, know where you heard the ugly rumor, by the way, that I'd stop drinking. Someone because I said. Slap that person. Because sometimes I do, uh, like, I do drinking podcasts and they, they rate through the roof because something happens when you drink with someone and you really let your guard down. And it, and it becomes less of an interview and more of a hang. Yeah. And, but I, I also feel like it's really tough to do when you don't know somebody. When you don't know somebody just to get drunk with them, then all of a sudden... It can be awkward. It can be awkward. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely do one. Maybe we'll do one next door at the bar next door one day. <laughs> That's my goal is like, I, I just, I, I see, where do you see, do you see podcasting moving somewhere different? Or do you see radio? Do you ever see uh, Hollywood Babylon going, getting bought out by radio and put on AM? Or? They couldn't now. I mean, now it, it's just so filthy and blue and twisted and weird. But why, and I don't think but it would, why it, not? Why not put it on AM? Why not take the AM format and go, hey, guys, now this is uh, not run by the FCC and we just, it's, it's whatever the fuck it is. Like, who the fuck's run? Who's on AM? Well, sports. Sports and news is all that really is left on AM. Sports is on AM? Yeah. A lot of sports stations on AM. I don't really follow a bunch of sports talk radio. Yeah. I'm not, uh, but, uh, but uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I'll tune in to, my wife listens to, go, oh, uh, oh, fuck. Uh, can you just piss? No, yeah, go ahead and piss. Can you piss by my house? Yeah, sure. Because all the bathrooms are fucking. No worries. <laughs> no, 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 just go back there. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. Uh, by the way, this is fucking fascinating. Sitting with him, he's like, I got to piss. Uh, I hope I'm asking all the questions you guys want. Uh, we'll take a break. All right, we're back from the piss. Yes, now the, we can. Tr- now we are truly friends. So, what, what? What do you see? What do you see? Like podcasting going? Have you guys ever thought of adding an, a, a video element to the live show um, and putting that up? Yeah, it's weird though. It's funny because the thing started. Kevin and I started doing the podcast simply because we wanted to work together. Do anything just for shits and giggles. So we started doing that, and then it sort of grew into this thing in the, the live show, and we started selling out venues and stuff. And so once you see the financial potential to it, then you have to start thinking, okay, what's the best way that I can sort of monetize this? Why so not be a TV show almost? Well, the thing is, we did a pilot for AMC. We did a pilot for AMC called Hollywood Babylon with all of the elements, really, that we have in the podcast, and they loved it, and then they never picked it up. So um, I, think there's, I think there's potentially a TV show in there, but you almost want to say, you know, podcast is sort of a new medium, and it's kind of its own thing. It would be nice if it could grow into something that isn't traditional television or traditional radio or some, some its own thing. Whatever that might be, you know, whether that's an internet 
component or I'm not quite sure what what the future is for that. But it does seem like it's an infant medium and something else is going to grow out of it, whatever that may be. You know, that makes any sense. It does. What a little sidebar. Um, You worked on a show that one of my buddies, John Moore, worked on called uh, the Joe Joe Schmo show. Yeah. <clears throat> John Holland Moore is one of my favorite people on the planet. Are you serious? Oh, absolutely, yeah. He is. I've known John. He was on the first show I ever did. He uh, is which a was, sweetheart of a man and one of the funniest people I know. He really is. Yeah. We did all three Joe Schmo seasons together, and uh, he is, he's, he's amazing. Have you had any of those guys come through Kevin and Bean to be interviewed? Because you, I mean, what's the list of talent of actors that have been on there? Nick Kroll. Right? No, Kroll never did Schmo. Who, who um, was on? Kristen Wiig started. Her, her TV career started with our first season of Schmo. Okay. Um, who else? Uh, David Hornsby from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He got his break with uh, Joe Schmo. I could have sworn it was Nick Kroll. No, Lance Kroll. Lance Kroll is who Krull. I was thinking of. He is fucking so talented. He is such a talented guy, yeah. Did you ever see his FM radio yeah, show? Yeah, sure, yeah. What a great... Great character and great idea. Yeah, it really was. He, I ran into him at a kid's party one time, and uh, I had just found that FM show, and I think it had just been canceled. And I, our, both our kids, I think, are the same age, or w- one of our kids, mm-hmm. and I geeked out on him. That's my problem is I don't have a problem geeking out on people and being like, dude, I fucking love you. Like, and people are like, look at this guy away from me. And part of me is like, oh, no, I'm in the industry. Like, <laughs> No, I think people love it secretly. Whether If they don't, they're sort of assholes. Because if someone comes up to me, especially the Joe Schmo show, that's one of those things where the first season was a pretty good-sized cable hit. You know, Second season didn't do so well. Third season didn't do so well. But people who do know the show love it and go out of their way. I mean, Jordan Peele, when he came in to promote Key and Peele on the Kevin and Bean show, he walked in and he looked at me as if... You know, it was me looking at Pacino or somebody. He was yeah. like, dude, I have to tell you, Joe Schmo Show was one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I mean, he could not have been more kind uh, regarding what he had to say about it. And it's great when you, especially somebody's in the industry, when you hear somebody appreciates it, it's just the best. Oh, whenever anyone appreciates anything I've ever fucking done, it is the biggest compliment in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I got a, a text from Jim Jeffries the other day and uh, about something. And I was like... And, and, you know, I mean, I'm, I think anyone that's listening to this knows that Jim's career is at a place where he's doing theaters and stadiums and yes. touring the world. But to me, you know, and I think to me and Jim, we're both just comics. Right. I don't think either of us look look like, think we're better than the other one right now. Jim's hearing this and going, no, no, I'm better than you. <laughs> but, uh, but he just gave me a compliment and I fucking was, I like told my wife. I was like, no, check this out. And she was like, who's that? And I go, the guy's fucking special you watched on Netflix the other night? Yeah. She's like, oh, shut up. And those moments are like, who's come, in, who's come through uh, Kevin and Bean that you just kind of geeked out on? Um, well, in terms of what you just said, um, Patton Oswalt came on. And Patton Dude. said, you crack me. I listen to you every morning. I love the showbiz news that you do. And it's just, you, you do, you crack me up. You're, you're great. I mean, for Patton Oswalt to say that to me, for me, that was, that you my guys are exploded. cut from the exact same cloth. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. He's a nerd too. So, I mean, he absolutely, I, I relate to him in such a big way, but I was such a huge fan and we've since become friends. But that first time he said that, I was like, man, this is unbelievable because I look at what you do and what Patton does and Jim as like, that's real comedy, you know? That's stand up to me is I, I have such a reverence for that art form and guys who do it well that I look at I look at those performers with awe. The radio show, it's just us sort of 
filling five hours in the morning. I mean, literally, it's a scramble every day to come up with enough shit to talk about just to fill the time for five hours. Really? That's that's the challenge of doing morning radio. It's it's. It's an assembly line. It's like Lucille Ball with the chocolates on yeah. the assembly line. You're just trying to fucking get the, the chocolates in the box before they fall off the edge of the conveyor belt. So uh, uh, to watch well-crafted guys doing amazing stuff on stage for me, that is like another world to me. It's a whole other uh, oh. animal. So when Patton said that to me, I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. But um, a lot of guys come through and they talk about the Joe Schmo show, which I was thought was uh, James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, you know? Yeah. He same the way, thing. He was fantastic. like fantastic, great film. I can't wait for the second one. He was like, I want you to know, my wife and I, we it was like appointment television every week. We had to sit down and watch the Joe Schmo show. So it's just you never know where it's going to come from. But when you hear it, it's just always just a thrill to know that okay, I'm not just putting shit out into the ether. There are people on the other side who are receiving it and getting it and liking it. You know. Well, just so you know, I'm putting shit into the ether, and the only one's catching it is Jim <laughs> Jeffries. Jim Jeffries, that's a bit, all right. listen, if it's, that's the only person that sees my shit, I get it. I mean, the network's I not agree. even seeing my shit. Yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, uh, Patton Oswald, the only compliment I ever got from him was, was I know, we did, uh, we did uh, Doug Loves Movies at the Nerdist Meltdown, and I was like, I was like, hey, man, huge fucking fan. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I see all your shitty periscopes. <laughs> What? And he goes, I don't know, man. When the app showed up, you were one of the first guys on it, and so I followed you, and now every time you and your fucking kids go for a bike ride, I'm fucking watching. And I was like, I was like, thanks? Like, I didn't know. That's so awesome. Yeah, he, and one of my favorite moments, I think, in my career, like, and I, you know, I I think as a comic, the things you appreciate more, you know, like, the, the things that I fucking look at is like, as like uh, little uh, little buoys going out to sea, where you go. Oh, I feel like I'm. Go- uh, this is. I'm so glad this happened. Was like or little benchmark moments. One time, uh, Patton just shit on me for like an hour on Doug Loves Movies, oh, Not, really? but like just made fun of me for like an hour. And in my head, I was like, it. It was almost like one of the greatest comic minds of our generation just destroying me and i was like fuck yeah i got that feather in my hat oh, absolutely. you can't take that from me it'd be like rickles tearing you up or something yeah. you know and it was all badge of honor smart as shit and you know everyone else was chiming in which is hilarious and i definitely talked about it in therapy the next week but <laughs> but i was like i was like fuck man like he's just such a he's so smart i read werewolves and lollipops and i read it and i went oh this guy could have been anything as well as a comic. So it's two books you've read then. I, yeah, the, the well, I only read like firm the, in that one. I've re- well, I've, if you whittle it down, I also read uh, Naked with by David Sedaris. <laughs> None of his other ones, just Naked. I read it on a uh, on a boat on a bus in New York right when it came out. That's funny. And there's a thing of Plague of Ticks is one of my favorite short stories. And I was reading this Puerto Rican guy's like, "What the fuck are you reading, man?" Because I was laughing, and I was like, "A book. This is how fucking racist I am." I go, "A book both of us could get." Like as if as if I said we're both we're both of the same ilk because you're Puerto Rican and I'm I don't read like whatever the fuck I and the guy just went what's that supposed to mean and I was like nothing fuck this is right when I moved out of the south and I just did not understand a fucking the way the world worked but uh but yeah what would the what would be if uh, and I always say like I always used to say like if someone gave me the phone call Bert uh, Hollywood's calling. Uh, the head of fucking Sony wants you t- 
$15 million. They want you to do whatever the fuck you want. Start your own shingle. Uh, They want you to make a movie and a TV show, but they want you to leave your job. What movie and what TV show would you... Like, you can make any movie starring Ralph Garman, starring, directed by Ralph... We also... You can use our whole library for whatever we want. What movie do you make? So you're talking a remake? I'm taking an existing property? Whatever the fuck you want. It's probably best with an existing property. Yeah. Um, only because I don't want to hear you have to pitch something. That, I'm sure you have a list of things you'd like to make. Yeah. It's easier to say this is you know this is the kind of thing I'd like to do. Yeah. Um, without a doubt, TV series, I would like to do The Rockford Files. I would like to be oh, the modern day James yes. Garner and play the down and out private detective who gets his ass kicked on a weekly basis who's just scraping by. That character and that actor had a huge impact on me when I was growing up. I mean, Batman was like the show for me when I was a little kid. I never lost my love for that. But when I discovered the Rockford Files when I was, I don't know, 12 or something, I thought he was the coolest motherfucker on the planet. And not cool in the sense of like he was a superhero and he, everything went his way. Nothing went his way. But he always had a wise crack and, you know, away with the ladies and just drove that cool gold Pontiac Firebird. And it's like, this is the guy. I mean, so... Whenever I think of it, if you could do anything and remake anything, what would it be? I would be I would be the modern day Jim Rockford. I just think no that's questions great, asked. No questions. You ready for mine? Yeah. To the point where I made an awkward introduction to myself at this guy's office on the corner of Hollywood and Vine. This is where his office is yeah. in that building. Uh, Quantum Leap. Oh. Donald Belisario's office right. was right by a casting office. And I saw Donald Belisario, the name I saw every episode. I watched every episode of Quantum Leap. And I went, I'm meeting Donald Belisario today. And I walked in. I said, is Donald in? And they're like, he is. Who is, uh, do you have a meeting? And I said, nope. I just want to say hi and tell him I'm a huge fan of his work. And I think he stuck his head like kind of out of his door like, Jane? Like, and I was like, <laughs> Mr. Belisario, my name is Burt Kreischer. I love Quantum Leap. And he was like, and just walked away. <laughs> Security? <laughs> but I, like, I would... Drop everything I'm doing right now to remake Quantum Leap. I'm obsessed with time travel. I loved that character. I loved the oh boys. (laughs) I loved that. I loved everything about it. And I think there's a period, same with comic books, same with all art, where you disappear into it. I don't know if it pulls you out of depression or whatever it pulls you out of. and, And you just get this warm feeling where you get excited. Like this, The Simpsons did it for me in college. We'd get high, get uh, fried chicken, and watch The Simpsons. And I, you'd get like, like fucking excited to be in bed and not have anything to do. Right. But that would be it. What about what would be your movie? Oh, boy. A movie version of The Rockford Files? <laughs> <laughs> the big screen version? It's so It's so hard. I mean, I'm such a fan of so many features, but... To the point where I would never want to fuck with them. I wouldn't dare, you know. What do you think of female Ghostbusters? Uh, I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. Do you have I to didn't, say that? No, I don't have to say it. I really thought it was okay. It, what, for me, it wasn't near what the first, what the original was. You That's know, my daughter said. But I thought it was fine. I didn't think there was anything inherently wrong with it. Although I, and I came at it from another way. I was like, and I know Kristen. I was like, because we did Joe Schmo together, right? And I think Melissa McCarthy's a huge town. I think all those women were funny. I couldn't understand why they would saddle them with the responsibility and the weight of remaking a classic film yeah. rather than just create their own property for them to shine in and do their own 
own, even if you want to do like a sci-fi comedy or whatever, just do anything else. Don't call it Ghostbusters and let them start their own thing yeah. without having to carry the crushing weight of expectation with that franchise. It just didn't make any sense to, why, to me why anybody would do that to them. You know, and I think that was part of the problem was, you know, the, the, the ghost of that, no pun intended, original film was just looming so large, even with the cameos in that movie and the, and the you know, the, the name of it and the, the, the car they're driving and the outfits. I was like, boy, that's a lot of baggage to overcome. You know, I just felt bad for them. Now, do you notice... So, like, um, Butch Cashman's Son Sundance Kid, one of my favorite movies of all time, right? Not a million years would I ever go and try to remake that because I just know it's practically perfect. I can't imagine doing... It's like remaking The Usual Suspects. Yeah. That was one of my favorite movies ever. I'm just going to fail, so yeah. why would I do that? It's just, know? yeah, it's, and, and it's... Uh, what did you... Did you watch uh, Suicide Squad? Yeah. What'd you think? I, I thought at least there was some fun to be had in that movie. Yeah. You know, the Batman v Superman was just brutally just dark and dull and i thought man of steel was similar i mean they're just the marvel films for me are so much more entertaining than the dc films right now, now. for those who of us who maybe don't who know aren't nerds um what's the marvel films versus marvel films DC are films? iron man captain america the avengers okay those are all amazing those are amazing the dc comics movies are man of steel batman v superman suicide wonder Squad. woman wonder woman Th- that that trailer looks, good to looks me. amazing yeah but the suicide trailer looked better to me than the film was actually i heard uh i'm sure i heard this on a podcast I'm sure it's not my own information, which is the problem with podcasting. Like I, had to, I just thought, I told Bill Burr the other day, I have to, I had to stop listening to his podcast because he comes up with a thought. I hear it just the <laughs> way take it as fact, and then I t- and, well, then, and then I take it as my own thought, and you regurgitate it, and then when you work on stage, you can't do that. Right. So I literally had to stop listening to him. It, like uh, I can only listen to Rogan when he t- has like fucking scientists on. Like, but if he has a comic and they start riffing, sometimes you just fucking you absorb it. Yeah. You absorb it, but um. I'm sure I heard this on one of someone's podcasts, but they said that the people who edited almost Brian Redman, I think, said this. The people who edited the trailer for uh, Suicide Squad did such a better job than the people that edited the movie that they brought in the people that edited the trailer to re-edit the movie. I don't know about that, but I do know that apparently the reaction to the trailer did redirect Warner Brothers in terms of how they wanted the final product. Oh, I was out, fucking know. erect for that trailer. Yeah. Dude, I must have watched that trailer a hundred times. Margot Robbie, for me, embodied what you want in an actress or an actor. Like, so did Jared Leto. So, it, so did Heath Ledger. It was really assuming the character and f- having fucking fun with it. Yeah. And then I know nothing of Harley Quinn, and I'm like, I want her fucking movie to come out. I want to yeah. see more of this character. You know? Sadly, the film falls apart because the script's a fucking mess. None of it really makes any sense, and it all kind of falls apart in the end, and the, the villain wasn't very strong. It's just Marvel has a... Uh, who was uh, the villain? Well, the, uh, the, the Enchantress, the, the witch who was building the... Uh, I didn't even get that in the trailer. Yeah. I just thought that I didn't get any of it. But you didn't like Batman versus Superman? No, I thought that was just... I thought it was okay. Oh, boy, I thought it was just just weighted, weighted down by its own self-importance and just dark and no fun. Just And I'm not saying it has to be jokes in it, but yeah. there should be... If it's a comic book movie, there should be a certain sense of joy that you get. Even when the, you're watching a Marvel movie with the Avengers or whatever, they can take the the world seriously without taking themselves very seriously. And I felt like that Batman v Superman movie took itself so fucking seriously. Really? And, you know, at the end of the day, there's still guys in suits, yeah. you know, fighting crime and all. I mean, these are still comic books. Let's not – this goes back to what I was saying about these 40-year-old men children who think that 
you know, this is serious literature and this is real stuff. And it's not. It's like kids stuff. Yeah. And it's evolved and it's changed and that's cool. But let's not ever lose sight that it's about, you know, people from other planets who can fly, who have capes and, you know, millionaires who dress up as bats. I mean, let's not lose our sense of, you know, wonder here in terms of what that those characters are actually are. They're just, you know, they're kids' characters, basically. And so have some fun with them, for God's sakes. Now, what did you think of the most recent Star Wars? I thought that was great. Yeah. But again, I don't know how much of that was me really appreciating the movie or me just being thrown into a sort of a nostalgic orgasm because I see Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Princess Leia on the screen again, you know? I, I, it's hard for me to know how to break that down, but I just know I had a great fucking time in the theater. That's all I know. My kids are an interesting uh, litmus to run things by because they're, we're introducing them to Ghostbusters before they go see Ghostbusters. Right, right, So right. we're showing them Ghostbusters going, this is the movie, now go see this. And they, I mean, they're not racist, they're not sexist, they're two little girls. Right. And they're just both like, I don't, I don't get why they had to redo it with girls. Like why, that just makes, it sounds, it seems silly. Yeah. Why didn't they just do something different? And you're like, oh, maybe this, you guys should be test marketing these fucking shows. <laughs> you should be running Sony. Yeah, and, but um, but yeah, the, it's an interesting, you know, I don't know. Do you, do you find, do you, do you find a connection still with like Hollywood gossip and, and, I do, does it? I find that I'm disconnecting a little more as everyone gets younger and I'm getting older, or everyone stays the same age, same age, and I'm getting older. Well, I mean, there's certainly stuff happening in so-called pop culture news, and it's all pop culture news now, right? Um, that I don't relate to and don't have any interest in. That sometimes I have to talk about or report on, especially on the radio show, yeah. that I just have no real interest. And personally, I just find myself sort of. Uh, saturated with it like you know I, I started doing this entertainment news segment early on on the Kevin and Bean show largely because I didn't really have a, a niche for myself you know like mm-hmm. Jimmy was the sports guy and so when I came in and said what can we what label can we put on you to make you sort of fit in and give you an identity on the radio and I said well you know I, I, I know a lot about the entertainment world and stuff right? let me do entertainment news I'll do that because Jimmy did sports at the time you were probably that. 30 years old? Yeah, right. Yeah. And um, and so I started doing that, and I would report on the entertainment news, and it's been like 15, 16, 17 years now, and I'm just sort of over it. I mean, and, and, and it's also, you know, when I started, there was no TMZ. There was yeah. no, I mean, there's such a glut of it now where everyone is consumed with the fucking Kardashians. This is before Chelsea. This is before even David Spade's Hollywood Showtime show or whatever yeah, it was. Hollywood Minute and, or whatever. And uh, by the way, I used to be obsessed with that Google News entertainment bus button, yeah. it was so fun, and now it's so saturated. It's I don't such even know a who glut fuck... now that I really, I get, I get weary. I just get sort of tired of it. And you, you know? just look at them, and you're like, I don't know who Tiga or Frank Ocean. I don't know who fucking Frank Ocean is. Yeah. I don't even know what the fuck this guy does. I, there's, there's people in the in like, like the 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 Kardashians. I don't shit on him just because everyone else does, but like, I I don't, I don't like. Someone was like, Kim was uh, putting f- hidden advertising messages in her Instagram. Who gives a fuck? Like the FCC is coming down on her. I don't even get, like. I'm sure that has it ever backfired on you where you've talked about something in the entertainment thing and you're in Hollywood and you see them at Gelson's? No, I've never really regretted anything I've said. And, you know, Kevin, sometimes if we're doing the show, Kevin, 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 oh, Kevin, Kevin, I'm thinking of Kevin, uh, 
Kevin I'm, Smith. I'm, I'm talking about Kevin, Kevin Smith. Smith. Yeah, yeah that's what Kevin, I'm talking yeah. about. Oh, he's fucking brutal. Oh, he'll he'll burn some bridges. Oh, he burns bridges. But he's very specific about ones he knows he never wants to cross again. Because sometimes we'll be talking about something, and I'll know he's got a different opinion than what he's saying out loud on stage. Oh, yeah. But then I'll talk to him afterwards, and he goes, well, you know what? I don't. I may not have much of a career, but I do. I do want to save the one I have. You know, I, I don't talk. have really any sort of showbiz career in essence, so <laughs> I don't really run the risk of of pissing anybody off. I like what the fuck. I don't have a series now. They're not going to give me a series tomorrow. What have I lost? <laughs> so I don't really give. A, I don't really give a shit. I try to be as honest as possible, and and I'm as equally effusive with praise if I love somebody as I am damning you know the Kardashians or whoever if I hate them because I just think then. That, that, that evens up the score somehow. You know, if I, if I show that I can love someone's work as much as I can hate someone else's work, then it, 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 it kind of lessens the, the natural assumption, which is I'm just a bitter fucking, you know, wannabe actor slash whatever who's, who doesn't have the success of this person. That's why I'm cutting them down. Usually that's not the case. Yeah. Usually if I'm jealous of someone, that's the someone I really like and I talk about how great their work is, you know. But the Kardashians, they're the source of all evil for me in this whole fucking thing is because they have diminished whatever respectability that fame used to accord. Like you used to have to be famous for doing something. The, the value of fame has been so fucking cheapened that – and it's because of the reality shows like the Kardashians where they just – they don't do anything. They don't have any value. And on top of it, you can tell they're just shitty people. Like, yeah. if you took the money away from the Kardashians, they would be a white trash, trailer trash family, you know, with their, with their you know, drug-addicted, drunken boyfriends and husbands and the ones that won't get married and one keeps getting knocked up. And, I mean, if you look at – if you strip down just the storyline of that family, they're fucking trailer trash. Yeah. If you took them out of Calabasas, you would know what awful people they are. And so I don't mind trashing them because they deserve it. They, yeah, they have all the money in the world or whatever, but that's not necessarily the barometer that I judge people by anymore. I love that, I love that Bruce Jenner's gotten this pass for what a kind of a bad person he is is too yeah it's like he he is anti-gay marriage he's a fucking conservative dressed as a woman or kendall jenner whatever whatever the fuck his name is caitlin caitlin jenner caitlin yeah. i called him bruce jenner but like it's amazing what a fucking it's amazing to watch uh and it must be interesting from your perspective to have been almost the 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 apple box not apple box soapbox when you guys first started on the air and to be the one saying these things out loud and hearing people agree with you by callers yeah. and all of a sudden to see people agreeing with you on myspace and then on facebook and now to see almost the mob mentality shift and people it's almost like nowadays like the mob picks the fu- like ryan lochte is destroyed yeah for fucking getting drunk that's it. Well, for lying. That's why he got but destroyed. Lying, but we all did that lie. And he just lied to his mom. His mom ratted him out. And he was like, oh, fuck, I shouldn't have told my mom that. Yeah. Like, I well, mean, he shouldn't have told Billy Bush that on the beach either. When Billy Bush said, oh. did you get held up at gunpoint? And he said, yes, yes, yeah. I did. That guy's a fucking asshole. Look, he's, a, he's, a, he's a sociopath is what he is. Yes, but he's also an idiot. Yeah. I, mean, I have no problem he's with idiots. Fuck. Did get, you ever see his reality show? Oh, yeah, he is an idiot. He is legit across the board a fucking idiot. Yes. And like, I have no problem watching him sink. I don't necessarily, because you swim fast, think that you should 
should just be bulletproof and everything should come your way. You know, yeah. you got to you got to run your life. We all do. If you were if you were fucking working with these guys and you were building framing for a house and you started lying to your boss or showed up drunk or something, you'd fucking lose your job. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the real world. I have no problem with these people being held accountable. There was a kid when we were freshmen in college. I won't say his name. I, I don't think it matters. I tried to find him on Facebook, and he's not there. And he lied. He was a liar. He was like a habitual liar. But I liked his lies so much, I never wanted to catch him. <laughs> like, does that sound crazy? Like, no. His lies were so beautiful. He was entertaining. It was like he was, he was taught, like his mom was Brazilian, so he could speak a little Portuguese. And he's like, do you speak Portuguese? And I was like, no. I was like, say something. And it was make, speaking make-believe, but it was like so cool that... He was so committed to the lie that I remember just watching him being like, and he, and then one of my buddies, Jeff Hartley, caught him in a lie and fucking destroyed him. Was like, I'm fucking done with you. And I was like, oh, don't you miss it a little bit? The fucking <laughs> excitement this guy brought to our fucking lives. But uh, we went to his house in Miami and you could see his lives unra- his lies unraveling. Yeah, yeah. It was like his mom didn't really have an accent. You're like, oh. Huh. But yeah, I... That Ryan Lochte thing, I find it so fascinating. But in terms of what you're talking about, the, how the internet can destroy people, there is way too much power in Twitter and stuff now. It's just, I find it, uh, I find it, you know, it's weird. The older I get, the more I just get saddened by shit. You know, I don't even get so angry anymore. I just start to feel shitty and depressed about stuff more than anything. And when I watch people who don't deserve it get you know, shit lumped on him, death threats on Twitter and stuff. And it's like, what the fuck is wrong with people? Did you follow this Kurt Metzger, Amy Schumer thing? Uh, yes. Yes, I did. What did you think about that? Um, I didn't think Amy should have been held responsible for something else that somebody said, you know? Uh, it's pretty amazing that that it's pretty amazing like she's to in watch control feminists of cannibalize their own. Yeah. But go, it, it happens in every special interest group. You know, I mean, the right wing does it, the left wing does it. If you, and you know what does it the worst, which makes me, my heart hurt, is the geeks and the nerds. It's, it's used to be we were like this weird little subculture that the jocks and everybody didn't really like us anyway. So we were pretty inclusive and forgiving of each other. And we would mm-hmm. just sort of go along and get along. And now that the, the, the script is flipped and nerds run the world and all these blockbuster superhero movies and everything, if you don't step in time with, if you didn't like the Superman movie or whatever, I mean, they will come out of the woodwork and just, just destroy you. They will end you if you're not in with like the fascist group of nerds and stuff, when the, which the is black, anti black everything dude, they've ever been. Black you know? dude in Star Wars. Yeah, right. Or the girl, or the girl in Star Wars, you know, or even yeah. the girls Ghostbusters movie. I mean, I didn't necessarily see the point, but it certainly didn't warrant the outpouring of sort of hate and bullshit that came off of the internet for for those women and the people making that movie. It was nuts. It was crazy to me when I when they when they started revolting about a black guy in Star Wars. I was like, wait, I like it. Kind of confused me because I was like, don't, don't you? Doesn't anyone? That's getting so upset. Don't you identify with being an outsider, being sure. different? Like, cause, I mean, and, and as much as I was always accepted, I've never not been accepted, I feel like. And I only say that. I only say that uh, for culpability. Right. Like, I am I always feel like an outsider, but, like, trust me, I don't think I've, I've always been okay to get along with people. I, I definitely know what it feels like to go to camp and not have anyone to sit with it at at, a, at lunch in the cafeteria. Right. I know that feeling. I, I can't imagine that people could so quickly turn the tables and be like, now that I got people to sit with, 
look at that guy sitting by himself. Yeah. It's one of the things that bummed me out about alternative comedy when I first started was that, like, I was like, oh, cool. We all felt different at mm. a certain time, hence our senses of humor. And then you went in, and I went in the Lower East Side, and I just watched people go. By the way, I was wearing overalls, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was. You were asking for it. I was like, I was wearing overalls like a fucking idiot. I don't know what part of my brain thought that was acceptable but i remember people being like i don't know maybe it was my fault maybe i shouldn't have worn fucking overalls who gives a fuck about this story i was wearing overalls <laughs> with a baseball bat hat backwards and fucking doc martens maybe I, who fucking knows mm, who knows uh but uh yeah, fuck me so uh <laughs> but yeah I, I just i don't know uh the movie that i had the only only other thing i think i feel like i need to talk to you about was the movie that changed me into appreciating disappearing in fantasy like i would have never been into game of thrones i would have never been into lost i would have never been into family guy i would have never been into anything that is i guess you know alternative geek culture mm-hmm. had i not been introduced to league of extraordinary gentlemen <laughs> what an odd choice my buddy matt uh uh i won't say his last name because my wife and his wife had a falling out. Because oh, my wife doesn't know that when you fucking CC reply all, that that person's on the fucking email. <laughs> my wife has lost us more friends than you could ever fucking imagine. Is your wife? Is your wife? Did your wife get your geek personality? No, she tolerates it. My wife does not get my personality at all. She tolerates it. I talked to her today privately. Maybe I should have paused. I'll be fucking honest. I don't give a fuck. Um, I'm going through the first bout I've ever had of depression. Of like, it may not seem it right now, but like. Where I just I'm seeing the darker side of things. Mm-hmm. I opened up to my wife to talk to her about it, just about where I'm at in my head. And my wife's like, "Make a list." And I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like I just told you how I feel how I just want to sleep all day. And she's like, "No, make a list." And I was like, "How fucking out of touch are you with me?" That you or think with, that's going to be any part of the solution. Well, number one, get out of bed. <laughs> number two, take a shower. Number three, cheer the fuck up. Like so, and and I think it's because I don't know. Whatever, I'm not going to talk about me about this. But my wife, by the way, my wife's morning show in uh, Hollywood is the Steve Harvey show. Oh, that's who she listens to. Well, that's all I need to know. Fuck. Like you get in there, and he's like, they're like, preach, Steve. He's like, man, if you, it's it's actually a pretty good show. But uh, anyway, um. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, this guy, Matt, I was just started dating my wife. I was very elitist about everything. And I think because I'd had such a rough uh, uh, go at it with the alternative comedy community that I looked at anything geek was, I was like, no, man, I'm fucking block punts, football, fucking, I'm a chest bumper. And, And my buddy, Matt, goes... Do you want to come upstairs and watch League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? And I was like, nah, I don't watch fucking kids' movies. And he was like, what? I go, I don't, I'm not into that shit. And he goes, it's a, it's a really good movie. And I was like, no. And he's like, dude, we'll open a bottle of wine, we'll smoke a joint, and we'll watch this movie. Trust me, you'll like it. And he goes, don't worry. He's like, he got me. He goes, don't worry. If you get lost, you can ask me any question. So I'm like, okay. It was the character of... Uh, the guy in the painting. Who's the guy in the painting? Dorian Gray. Dorian Gray. And he told me about Dorian Gray, and I just got really interested. And I went, oh, this is... F-. And I was enthralled. And for an hour and 15 minutes, I disappeared. And I went, shut the fuck up. And he was like, dude, there's a lot of movies you need to see. And I got into it, like, 
fucking the idea so that you could get online and just start researching and go like backstory after backstory after like and just being like shut the fuck up i found it fascinating and i got and because, i because famously that's one of like the worst translations of comic book to movie ever <laughs> in the history of the medium people who love comic books hate that fucking movie because it's such an awful representation of the actual comic which was really good a really good comic book yeah and I fucking That's disappeared. So funny. And ever since then, I looked at it like they made Iron Man for me. They made it for me to get out of this world and sit down and dream. Like very few. Like you watch, you know, you watch Beautiful Girls. Is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Beautiful Girls. You you might get depressed throughout there, and yeah. you might go like, "Fuck, I want a drink. I want some apps. I want like you know what? I I wish I had a fucking muse in my life. Like fuck." And then you come out on the other side, you're like, yeah, we all do get old. Maybe I won't fall in love. And then, but then you watch Iron Man and you're like, and you just come out of that movie and you weren't you for a second. It's like riding an emotional roller coaster, like a, Absolutely. a fantasy roller coaster. Yeah. And I, and it's that one movie changed me. So if, if there was, a, so that's the bad example. So for anyone listening to this, there's like me, <laughs> what would you say would be your introduction to this, to, to getting lost in this culture? Oh, boy. Where uh, would you say would be a good jumping off point where you go, you can't miss? Now, obviously, Star Wars and, and... Yeah, I mean, the ones I would guess a lot of people have already seen. You know, I'm trying to think of, like, little known ones. Like, well, Seth and I both have a real weak spot for Flash Gordon. I've never seen the movie Flash Gordon, but he pays tribute to it in Ted, of course, you know, where yeah. they meet Sam Jones. But that is a... Uh, Flash! That is a weird, campy, wild ride of a film that didn't do very well in the theaters, but sort of became a cult classic after the fact. That is just another one of those great, just bong rips and glasses of wine Dude, watch. That's a great watch. I will. I will. Hold on one second. This will. Th- that movie. This is the other fucking creepy thing. Is that a lot of those movies define my sexuality too? <laughs> yes. so, oh God, yeah. Like there was this weird, like you know. I don't know. I don't know whatever this says about me, but the idea that someone would be in a costume and tied up, I all of a sudden I was like, hmm, totally get it. <laughs> but Flash Gordon, I have. I used to listen when I would start jog- jogging. I think it's on my phone still. The soundtrack is amazing. The Queen, soundtrack, the Queen soundtrack, Queen that film soundtrack. Is awesome. Is fucking fantastic. Yes. Uh, my phone is not fucking working. Right. But Flash Gordon is one of those things where you and it, and they like he ties up his daughter. His daughter's in. It's all S and M shit. There's Flash a lot of Gordon's it in there. All S and M shit. Yeah. And it's like you watch Flash Gordon. Then I did this show Hurt Burt where I took dangerous men's jobs for a day. Right. And they had me be a dominatrix camp. And I said to the <laughs> chick at the end, I go, Hey, this kind of reminds me of the movie Flash Gordon. And she was like, Hardcore S and M. Hardcore bondage. Hardcore. BBS a lot of that stuff in the 30s where Flash Gordon comes from. A lot of it was back then because they didn't really monitor that stuff too much. And a lot of the guys who were doing comic strips and comic books were like twisted people who couldn't get, you know, gigs in legitimate art. So they would like get their fetishism in, you know, sub, you know, subversively into this comic book stuff. The guy who created Wonder Woman was a full... <gasps> Wonder Woman defines my sexuality. Wonder Woman, the guy, William Moulton, the guy who created Wonder Woman was a full-blown S&M BD guy. Full-blown. Oh God. And all of her early comic books, she's getting tied up and spanked by other women and shackled and chained. So much of that stuff going on in Wonder Woman. It was one of my first jokes when I first started comedy. I'm sure this is maybe... I'm sure this is probably other people's jokes too, but that the lasso of truth wrapped yes. around you yep. and you're like, Oh my God, I, I can't stop looking at your tits or whatever. Um, 
yeah, Wonder Woman was one of my f- when I first saw that Linda Carter. Yeah, uh, the me way too. she smiled was different. Like mm. she had this like this downward smile, and I just to this day, I mean, my wife, I we've definitely experimented with Wonder Woman costumes. <laughs> um, but did uh, you grow up watching the Hulk, Curtable Hulk, and all oh, those shows? Fuck yes. So how did you not turn into a geek? How were you not reading comic books and like caught up in that culture? Because then I found out Lou Frigno lifted weights. Oh, I, I was see. like, I was there like, oh. I'll do that instead. Yeah, like the Hulk was one of my favorite movies. Uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Dyna Girl, and Electric, Electric Woman. Woman and Dyna Girl. Um, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember? This is I don't know if this is. There was a show. There was uh, during that period. There was a uh, Nature Boy and Bigfoot. Yeah, sure. Oh my god, no, uh, Bigfoot and Wild Boy. Bigfoot and Wild Boy. Yeah, I was fucking Wild Boy my whole life. I walked around in a loincloth, and that's it everywhere. And then that morphed into cowboy boots and a speedo, and that was all I fucking wore. But then, and then one day, one day, just all of a sudden, like childhood disappears. Yeah, I guess it does for some people. They just grow up. And then you're walking through the mall in a speedo and cowboy boots with your dad, and you notice you're the only one doing it. Yeah. That one day where your dad's like, "Are you a little cold?" When shame kicks in. Oh, and I it just uh, if you could remake Flash Gordon with either Rob Gronkowski or Tim Tebow, who'd you pick? Oh. Tim, right? Tim Tebow, yes. Tim Tebow would be great. Yes, because he's that, that that Boy Scout fucking heart of gold, sort of not that bright, you know. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, Tebow. Absolutely. That would be the fucking best. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a fucking great time. I'm going to, it's been an hour 30, a little longer. Already? Than, Jeez, I know. I, I, I feel like I didn't want to take up. I know you've been working all day already. Yeah, it's been a long um, morning already. Uh, we're just going to, do you mind? I don't want to, can we call my buddy Eric Cruz and has been listening to you? His, we'll leave, do it on the course, show. Of course. Because he's like... It's so weird when people say that, you know, they're fans of the show or whatever. And I know I've been doing it a long time and it shouldn't come as a surprise. But radio especially, it's a weird medium because you're doing all this stuff. And, and you know it's going out there, but you never really see anyone's reaction to it or know how they're reacting it's to it. So it's all happening too. on the other side of that wall. You're, you're working for an audience of like three people, whoever in, is in that booth with you at the time. You know, you never are aware of whether people are liking it or getting it, whatever. So it's always strange for me to hear that people like the radio show, but I love it. So. One of the things that, you know, when I, when I first started, I started playing tennis with this old man a, a long time, like maybe ten, eight years ago. And I would listen to um, Opie and Anthony back when it was Opie and Anthony. Right. Because I knew Bobby and Patrice and Jim. I didn't know Opie and Anthony per se, but Louie and I knew all these guys. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird medium to be listening. Like to be like, it It really draws. It's the thing I love about podcasting is it's this, it allows your your imagination. Yeah. Like you just sit there with your eyes to the sky. Like like Plato must have been. Oh, that's a little much of a stretch. All right. Easy. Easy. All right. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Here, I'll give you the phone. All right. I'm, I'm sitting with uh, Ralph Garman right now. Wow. What's up, man? How you doing? Good. How you doing? <laughs> wow. I can't believe you uh, put it together. <laughs> Bert tells me that you, you, you're a listener. I'm a listener, absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm a huge fan. What? I've been uh, listening to Kevin and Bean since high school in the early 90s. Well, I appreciate it, man, and uh, yeah. you're the reason we're, we're doing this today, and it's been a blast, so thanks, Eric. For, thanks for planting oh, the seed yeah, in his head. I, I, yeah, he's like, who can I find that just has nothing else going on? <laughs> <laughs> you are absolutely right, sir. You nailed me. Uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, no, it's great. I hear you. I listen to you guys every morning, uh, and uh, I, I was telling Bert it is the uh, demonstrably less 
when you go on vacation. So it's wow. uh, yeah, I'm 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 definitely a fan. Um, so uh, yeah, great. Well, I appreciate. It. We had a lovely chat here today. Yeah. Oh, good. I'll. You uh, can't wait to hear it. All right, but, buddy. Uh, cool. He's a yeah, lawyer, well, so if you ever need a lawyer, oh, on a regular basis, I need yeah. a lawyer. I'm going to put you on retainer, Eric. Thanks, man. (laughs) Yeah, all right. All right, guys. Hey, we'll talk to you later. It's funny when you put, like, if, like, it's someone like me and you, if you put me on the phone, I'd be like, holy shit, what the fuck? When you put a lawyer on, there's like, oh, oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. And how do I measure this? Uh, <laughs> it's demonstratively less funny when you're on vacation. The I'll take that. I'll take that all day. Fucking weird I'll friend. Take demonstratively I have. less. <laughs> um, hey, what do you have? Anything to promote? Um, Hollywood Babylon. Hollywood Babylon. You can find week. it at smodcast.com or uh, iTunes, or you can come out and see us if we're in your neighborhood. Um, Kevin Bean Show, of course. Every morning. Every morning, Friday, uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, you can follow me at Ralph Garman on Twitter. That's always I'm like I'm like 300 away from 100,000. Now I'm like itching to get to 100,000. Really? That's my thing. Yeah. On Twitter? Yeah. Oh, and dude, um, let's let's okay. Let's you know let's find out exactly how many listeners I have. So followers, you mean screen, on Twitter? What, oh, no, or yeah. you want to see how many people we can get off this off yeah, this podcast? Off this podcast. Oh, that'd be great if you could push me over the top. Okay, let's do it. We are right now. Ralph Garman is at, and I'll tell you where he's at right now. Uh, R A L P H. You like the name Ralph? I do. I hated the name Bert. Really? Yeah. I like. Oh you, well, you're three thousand away from hundred thousand. No, I should be like three hundred and change, right? Three hundred away. Three hundred yeah. away. You're at ninety nine point six thousand point six thousand followers, guys. Let's pray. I know how my downloads are. Theoretically, we should well bo- throw you well into the fucking hundreds oh, let's of thousands. It. Let's do it. So everyone, go right now to Twitter, and I will put. I will mention this at the very beginning of this too, because okay. I know people listen to that part. Um, <laughs> at Ralph Garman, G A R M A N. Uh, Philly boy goes Hollywood to sell his soul. Still looking for a buyer. Yes. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Instagram. You big on those too? I'm on Instagram. I don't take a lot of pictures though. It's weird. I know Instagram's, that's like that's a cultural thing. It's happening so much quicker than Twitter. Right I know. Now. It's crazy. And it's people are always asking videos. me, put more stuff, put more stuff. And it's like uh, I just don't. I'm not. I'm not a visual guy. I'm like a word guy. You know. So yeah. I don't. I don't take a lot of shots. But I. When I, I, do. T- I put out a tweet today that I thought would get more fucking likes. Um, every time I order a coffee at Starbucks yeah. and the barista says your name please all i hear is i don't know who you are like that's all i hear but no one fucking retweeted it because it's just like i go to the same one too and i'm on fucking tv and i fucking like i'm working right and she just looks at me every time same chick i know who she is right i know her name <laughs> i've seen her every fucking day that's true she could you think she'd be like hey your beard's growing out or right. something yes but uh that's so much to ask Fuck yeah. Um, but hey, thank you for doing this, man. I My appreciate pleasure. it. it was thank fun, you, man. seriously. And I'm being dead serious. I know how busy you are, and I know that a podcast like this doesn't even fucking glitch on your radar. Not true and it at means all. the world to me that you would do it. It was my pleasure. I had a blast. Thanks, y'all. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.